This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 244. Why is college getting more expensive? With Angie Grimm. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode. I can't wait to walk through some pretty profound and eye-opening financial strategies with you today and to give us a new insight on how college planning can really revolutionize your overall financial life. Hello, my name is Mark Willis. I'm a certified financial planner and your guide to the Not Your Average Financial Revolution. I want to ask you a question. If you were a bank, think about it. If you were a bank, it already feels nice to think about this question, right? (laughs) If you were a bank and a scrawny, bright-eyed 18-year-old kid walked through your doors and under his arm was a manila folder with the words business plan written on the side, and as you sat down to talk to this young kid, he began to describe a well-thought-out business strategy and you were pretty impressed. And at the end of it, he asks for a loan. He needs a loan for $25,000 to get the business started. And you ask him, what sort of assets does he have? And he says, well, nothing. I got a box of crayons in my car, but that's about it. And he's basically got nothing to his name except this idea, this business plan. Would you loan him that money? Probably most banks would say no. And out the door he goes. Now, instead of being a bank, if you were the federal government or a student loan company and that same scrawny, bright-eyed kid walked in saying that, you know, he had nothing but a box of crayons in his car, you would loan him all the money you could possibly give him. That is why we have a $1.7 trillion student loan crisis happening right now in not so many words. So part of the solution is carefully preparing for that eventuality to get ready for your children's college future. And we're going to be discussing some pretty, I think, counterintuitive ideas uh, with our guest today. Our guest is Angie Grimm. Angie Grimm is the lead college funding professional at College Solutions LLC in Amarillo, Texas. She's a financial professional specializing in solving the late stage college planning problem for families. Angie has researched and developed an extensive knowledge about the college financial aid system, something I still just dip my toes in. She's an absolute skill, an absolute wizard at it. Uh, She's benefiting families with advice, her advice and strategies that most parents don't think about or have access to or the time to really consider uh, when saving for and paying for college. I know that Angie prides herself in helping students make informed educational decisions, helping them pursue their educational goals. As a financial professional, Angie assists parents in improving their financial aid picture, paying for college on a tax-favored basis, and helping set up a solid financial roadmap for college and for the parents' retirement. So we're going to get right into this interview with Angie. I want you to think about if you have kids, listen carefully. If you don't have kids, hit the share button and send it to a friend who does, because everybody needs to know about the strategies that Angie has to share. So take it away, Angie. Angie, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. I'm really excited to be here with you today. I'm glad to have you. And I've been looking forward to this conversation. And I want to start with your own journey. You're a specialist now in helping people navigate the 
the chaos, uh, the tunnel of chaos that is college and college planning. But tell us about your own journey as you made your way toward college. Well, it's been many decades since I attended college. I only have one older sister, and she went to the public university in our state, and I was bound and determined not to go to the same place. So I applied to a smaller private college that I really had my heart being set on to go to a smaller place. I knew some already older friends that were going there, toured it several times. And we got to about April of my senior year, and my folks got the financial aid package. I had nothing to do with it. I didn't know there was a financial aid form to fill out. I just applied, thought I could go. And we were told, take the ACT once and you'll be fine. And that's all I ever did. And I had good grades and thought, oh, I'll get a bunch of scholarship. So my dad looked at the financial aid offer and it was considerably less than what they had told him in the fall. And he called the office and they said, oh, well, she needed to have a higher ACT score now to get that scholarship. And it's too late for a higher score. So what we have for you is what we have. So they set me down, explained that to me. And first I was very, very upset because I didn't really understand why that happened to me. We should have done something ahead, but I didn't know. No one told me how to do that. They just thought I would get all of this money. So I thought about it for about a week. I was very, very upset. Typical 18 year old. And I thought about it where my mother told me I'd have tens of thousands of debt if I went that way, or I would have no debt Hmm. if I took up their offer for them to pay for my public college. And that's what I did. I realized she was right. I didn't tell her that at 18, but she was right. So was my dad. And I went to a public college, got a good education, maybe not the one I wanted, but I did have no debt when I graduated. So they they were right in guiding me. And so I was appreciative of that guidance. I was mad at first, but they were right. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of brings me to something that I was reading recently. This is actually from the Yale Alumni Magazine. And they took the cost of tuition from Yale University over the last hundred plus years. And then they adjusted it for today's dollars. And in 1939, in today's dollars, okay, so in, think of it in today's dollars, the cost of going to Yale was 15 grand for the year, $15,000. Now in today's dollars, it's $62,000. Same degree. Some people might even say it's less valuable now because there's more of these degrees out there and more colleges and more Ivy League, whatever. But from, what was that, 15 to 60? Why is college getting more expensive? It has gotten so ridiculously expensive. And so when people are planning in this late stage process, they are very surprised at that increase. Even in our public institutions across the United States, we're rapidly increasing. And one of the biggest factors for that is one, <laughs> they need to charge more for their product and keep their staff happy and pay them. Uh, I recently read an article about what college presidents are being paid and some of the highest salary was up to upwards of 100 million to 200 million a year. And some of them were maybe only at one to 2 million. So I felt sorry for the one to $2 million <laughs> guy or gal shows up. She's, they're woefully underpaid. So they have to keep their staff happy. And then two, the guaranteed government loans has really driven the cost up where they can adjust what they want to charge, knowing that each student would be guaranteed a certain type of direct loan from the government each year to attend that school. So they build that into their profit margin. So that has been one of the biggest contributing factors. And Mark, when we really think about that, the government actually is the largest predatory lender to our teenagers that we've ever seen. Say that again. 
<laughs> the government is the largest predatory lender towards your 18, 19, 20-year-old student. Well, Not so the credit card companies, but the, the government. <laughs> oftentimes uh, with these things, you know, what's the old phrase? Uh, nothing is more permanent than a temporary government program. It seems that the more the government has a, an intention to do one thing, the unintended consequence ends up emerging. So when you get into college funding as a government and you're trying to lower the cost, it ends up becoming that much more expensive from 15 grand to 62 grand per year. Okay. So that's mind boggling just to think about that for a minute uh, and sort of ironic if nothing else. But then you also just said that the government is, you say it again, the largest predatory uh, lender for 18 year olds. Why is that? Well, that's their solve to helping kids go to college. So I tell people all the time, is the government in the business of still trying to help you and your family send your student to college? Yes, congratulations. It's a four-letter word called a loan. And so you can all get one. But in the reverse, if we look at the average student who's borrowing 20 to 25 for their undergrad career and walked into a bank to ask for a $25,000 unsecured loan to start a business, they would be walked out very quickly saying, thanks, son, for trying to apply. We'd love to help you, but you don't have a co-signer and you don't have any collateral, but we're it, we're willing to do it for education. So there's a little bit of, uh, you know, mixed message there for our yeah. students. That doesn't exactly make sense to not offer a bank loan to a new business, but to certainly offer it for a underwater basket weaving degree at the local college. Yeah. So we have to be budget planning for college, looking at what are all the expenses are going to go into it? And just I specialize in late stage college planning, Mark, not because I want to, but because that is when parents are willing to address the issue. Sometimes not even they even wait till senior year, but they need to be starting a heck of a lot earlier. <laughs> and and we aren't given as parents a manual for what to prepare for. You know, when we get the positive pregnancy test or whatever, it's not like we automatically are endowed with all this information about what a FAFSA form is. What are some of the mistakes we need to be sure to avoid when we're in late stage college planning? So what one of the biggest things I see is parents fall into the trap of listening to he said, she said, they said, uh, well, don't fill out that fast before and you won't get any money. Don't bother, you know, telling them any of your situation. Why would you upload your taxes and tell these colleges your full financial picture? But by doing that and not disclosing that information, you're leaving the college guessing about what your student's ability is to pay for that college. You cannot let the college assume you have all the money in the world or you need an extreme amount of help one way or the other. And we see students miss out on merit scholarships by not disclosing that information also. So regardless of income, every single family needs to file for financial aid because there's three types, Mark. There's need-based, there's merit-based scholarships, and then there's outside scholarships. So to get some type of financial aid, you have to engage in the process, which, which starts with the FAFSA form. I think a lot of people think that there's just trillions and trillions of dollars raining from the sky from all these invisible scholarships. Is that a naive? Where are the biggest leverage points for getting access to financial aid? Is it truly scholarships or is there something more fundamental that we can chase after? So we really have to take each family individually and look at what is their need-based eligibility. And that will depend on what college they're looking at and what level and income asset placement they're at to maximize that process. There are all these rules and regulations that govern this process through the Department of Education. 
it's actually no different than doing good tax planning. And they, you know, just like the government, they change rules and regulations every year. So we keep our pulse on what those things are for financial aid. So there are plenty of times that we meet with people where they are saving their dollar in an asset placement that is going to hurt them for financial aid or considering placing their money in one of those types of assets in their late stage planning and might not realize why the holistically planning for all their kids that that is going to penalize them for some need-based aid under the budgets from the college. So we want to be positioned to get as much need-based aid as we can. So we don't want to get turned down free money, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to maximize that. And then for the private scholarships, we want kids to search for those. But Mark, that's really only about 3% of the money that's out there. So we call that the icing on the cake. So we want you to check with your community organizations, check with your employer, check with your church, check with your student guidance counselor and apply for those. But kids and families need to plan on only about a 10% rate of return on those scholarships, meaning you better fill out about a hundred of those and hopefully you get eight or nine of them. When I was applying for colleges, my, my parents just filled out the FAFSA and I didn't even know what was going on at the time. But then all of a sudden it's like, well, how are we going to pay for this thing? And I remember sitting in a kind of a dark low-grade hotel room uh, at the college town, filling out that student loan form. How can we do this better? How can families plan ahead a bit better for college planning? You said late-stage college planning, and I guess for our audience, you would mean that to be like junior, senior year. Is that right? Actually, even freshman year and up. Okay. Uh, because parents were finding are woefully underprepared financially. They've maybe only saved or invested a very small amount and now are realizing they need a significant amount more that because they're starting as we start to talk to them, how much are they willing to let their student shoulder and student loans? When most parents come and talk to me in late stage planning, this could be their first conversation they have as a married couple of how they want to help their kids go through college. And so reality is starting to hit them when we are pricing every single college for tuition, room and board, the, the whole package, not just tuition. And so we have to get to them sooner, have them start looking at how they want to do that and having those discussions so we can improve that situation. And it might or might not include their student taking on some debt, but they need to be educated, kind of circling back to my own story. If I would have known that, or I was forced in a, like a short 30-day window to make my decision. And that's what parents are doing now. We, we apply for admission and financial aid simultaneously. So right now in February, March, students are getting their award letters and they are forced to a quick 60 to 30 day decision because May you have to decide by May 1st. So that's the new D-Day for, for you know when you have to decide where you're gonna go and what offer you're gonna take. So if they're not planning ahead, they're sitting down with their student just like my folks did with me. And your kids are actually looking to you to know that. Parents, they want to know from you what they're supposed to do because they don't have much financial education. Now, if you as a parents don't have it either, that just spells a you know four to five year undergrad disaster in my world. <laughs> so we've talked about some uh, mistakes to avoid. One is making the assumptions about financial aid. Another is failing to plan ahead. When is too early to start planning for college? If you haven't even had your child yet, that's okay. probably too early. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the old joke. When do you plan for college? Uh, when you get the test results, the pregnancy yeah. test results. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, you say one of the mistakes to avoid is just picking the wrong college. Can you explain what you mean by picking the wrong college? Absolutely. We have to help students 
look ahead at a college that's going to set them up for success, graduate in a four-year time frame. Mark, the national average now is 5.8 years for undergrad. To get, to get through a college undergrad degree is 5.8 yes. years? Just your undergrad. You're not coming out with your MBA. And that's the you're average? Not, yes, that's, the, that's so a that nationwide means, average. You know, so if your overachieving kiddo got through in three years, the next kid might take six years or seven years. Is that what you're saying? Wow, that's nuts. Sorry to yes. interrupt you there. Yeah, no. And the reason that is, one, we pick the wrong school because we're following a friend. Uh, we might be going to where maybe our family went to because, you know, just all our family goes to this university. And we're all going to go there regardless of the cost. And gone are the days of that because of the way the pricing is so extremely expensive. I mean, if you have all the money just to write a check, you're probably going to be okay. But most people don't. <laughs> so if we don't look ahead at the college, especially where your student, we got to look at a college that's going to have the major that your student is wanting to study. And if they don't know, we have assessments to help kids figure that out too. That's why they don't know where to apply because they don't know where what they want to study. So they just apply all over the board. And then once they go through that process, are they applying to the college that they might be in the top 25%? That's where the biggest money is, Mark, from the colleges themselves for merit scholarships for your high achieving students. So we have to start looking at those colleges ahead where you're going to receive a really good merit package that's renewable based on your students' achievements up to that point and continued success in college. Can you tell if you're in the top 25%? I assume you mean like academic or, or applicants. Um, yes. Do you know where you land when you apply? Um, you actually don't know unless you do that research ahead. Mm, now, the interesting thing in college planning too is there are thousands and thousands of colleges in America which means their reporting and the stats that they send out to families are not standardized. Some universities make it very transparent to find out what their cost is, what the typical SAT score was from their applicants and others make it very difficult. Now, mm -hmm. in our program, we track all of these stats. We call them the college fast facts. We know, is it selective? What did the typical applicants submit last year? What do they fall in resume, GPA, class rank and test score? And so it takes a significant amount of research ahead to put the right schools on your kiddos college list. We want to have maybe a couple reach schools, several target that we know we're going to get into, and then at least one safety net, which is typically your you know local junior college. That's your safety net. Yeah. And then a lot of parents, you say, underestimate the cost that they're going to need to come up with. I mean, I sit down and I talk with folks all across the country, you know, having a one-on-one -on -one advisory meetings, just like you do for financial strategy sessions. And every time I ask them, about the estimated cost of college. And they all say outlandish things like, well, it's Mark, it's just unbelievably expensive, but you're saying that we still underestimate the cost. Can you unpack that for us? Colleges are not always transparent with, with all the, what we call ancillary cost. So when we are looking at colleges, we don't want to just look at tuition. We want to also research what is their typical room and board package? Cause they do have to move away from home typically and have to buy the food that the, the university asks them to buy, and then books, and then what they call personal expenses and estimate of transportation fees. So, you know, maybe your student is going to a school that's in drivable distance. You understand what gas is going to be, but maybe your student is going to go to a college that's at least two plane rides away from where you live. Yeah. And so all of those ancillary add into that expense that you have to be ready for 
in that planning process. And so we are always helping families look at what we call the worst case scenario number. Then when all the scholarships come in and we're lower than that, we're all happy. (laughs) When did you realize you had this deep desire to help families do what you do today? Yeah, well, I've been doing this, Mark, for a little over 12 years. And actually, it really started because at that time, my kids were just in middle school, high school. And I was trying to figure this out for the future of college for my kids because I started looking at those prices and all of the things in this, the great state of Texas where I live. And my husband and I sat down and said, how are we going to do this? We know we want to help our kids and have no student loans. But boy, we better get this figured out and start looking at this. So I started researching the knowledge, learning how this system works. It started really with the desire to help my own kids. And now I can transfer that knowledge to all of the families that I am you know, blessed with helping along the way. What's your biggest frustration about the whole system right now? You know this system more than the average American for sure. If you could change one thing because of a frustration you have with it, what would you change? One, I would like to see universities in the future get more innovative with the degree paths that they offer. More virtual learning might not possibly be what I call the cathedral of typical college now where you move off to this large campus that continues to build these multi-million dollar buildings and charge you more in fees and fees. When my son went to the university he attended, we got charged every semester a university advancement fee. So I paid for the advancement of the university's 50-year strategic plan for them to continue to build the university. My son never received $1 of scholarship back from that university. But boy, we've advanced the school quite a bit in our, it wasn't even a donation mark. It was an itemized fee on our bill. So it wasn't that I chose to give it or my son chose to give it. We were required to pay it. So they need to get more innovative. I would really like to see them in the future adjust tuition according to what you are studying. So if you are passionate to becoming a social worker and that is your passion, your tuition skill, I, in my opinion, maybe should be different then that student is going to graduate with a mechanical engineering degree because the marketplace is going to provide that student a much larger entry-level salary than that other young person who's going to have their social worker degree. And so I'd like to see them market price their tuition. If they did that, we wouldn't require students to take on so much debt or families take on all that debt to give them an undergrad degree. All we're doing here, Mark, is going to four-year undergrad. This isn't even grad school, med school, PT school, vet school. We're looking at a good, solid four-year university, and most parents I talk to now researching the marketplace as a professional in their 40s or 50s are saying, I know my student's going to have to get a master's at some level to be competitive. So it's not even a four-year discussion hardly anymore. It turns into a six-year deal. So you've kind of answered a question I had, which is, why do you think we have so much student loan debt with $1.6 trillion in debt outstanding right now? Why do you think that is? One, because parents are not prepared for it. And so it's very easy, Mark, to get into all of these loans, not only the student loan for your student, but the parental loan from the government. It's called the parent loan for undergrad studies. So now congratulations, mom and dad, the government will loan you dollars for your student to go to school. And you haven't planned ahead. You don't want to tell your child no to their, quote, dream school. And so you jump into that first year loan without thinking about those other two or three kids you have to plan for. And you wake up at the end of that with maybe a $1,500, $1,800 a month payment for the next 10 years on your budget while you're trying to plan for college. So we're just not preparing and having candid budget conversations about college. 
we budget plan for every other transaction we do in life, except for college. That's true. Yeah. You, you might budget more for your Netflix streaming than you do for the several hundred thousand dollar degree that your kids might get. Wow. That's huge. It's almost like uh, we live reactively with this, with many things in life. Oh, the car broke. Time to get a car loan. Oops. The kids accidentally turned 18. Guess it's time to <laughs> go to college. Big surprise. It's the you know, ostrich in the sand phenomenon. How does bank on yourself play into your philosophy here? And maybe more directly, how do you pay cash for college without going broke yourself toward your own retirement? When we start to look at this concept and utilize it for college planning, one, we found families that no one's ever talked to them about their money like this before. And so how do we truly pay cash for college that's better than paying cash? Is by utilizing our dollar into these types of accounts, we take the money out, we help our kids pay for college, and then we replenish it over time back to ourselves without interrupting that compound growth. And so if we just take that $200,000 that we were planning on spending on two of our kiddos for college and just pay full cash for it, now the win at the end of that, Mark, is what? You don't owe anybody, right? Mm -hmm. But your financial picture is not improved for retirement because now you've just spent all that cash that didn't grow for you over the next 10 to 15 years. And you don't have it there, which could turn into what? Half a million dollars, sometimes 600, 700,000 mm -hmm. for all of your kids for your retirement. And so it's way better than paying cash. We've even guided families that if they have enough money in there, they might even become the lender to their own student. What do you mean so by that? If, well, if their student, we don't want the student or the parents to get involved in the government loans, make a contract with your student. now. What I told my kiddos was that you can help make this contract and they don't even know they're helping supplement my retirement by paying me back. And then I'm going to be a very compassionate lender to my young professional son and daughter out in the world that if they all of a sudden get laid off or something happens that they might have to interrupt their repay back to me, I'll be pretty compassionate. You're not going to right? repo their degree if they uh, no. skip a payment. Okay, good. That's a kind mom. But so what you're saying, Angie, and it, it, I'll just say it again, you said it very well, but many of our listeners are already very familiar with bank on yourself and they hear it for things like cars or real estate investing. But I just want to sink in the power of the obligatory costs of just being alive. You know, we're all going to spend money, especially if you've got kids that just is a, you know, you're like a faucet, just letting money pour out of you basically all the time. And college is the final hurrah of spending and you're on your way out in the next 10 to 15 years. So you've got this double train coming at you, the college and the retirement. And many people will either pay cash for college and, and lose the opportunity. They're stealing from their own retirement by paying cash for college or worse, their children go into debt and the vicious cycle of, of debtor staircases continue for the next generations. And, and then your kids get a later start in life. And so the cycle repeats for your grandchildren. What you're saying, Angie, if I heard you right, is by packing money into a properly designed whole life insurance policy, the bank on yourself way, like we talk about, you're able to accumulate enough cash value in the policy, borrow against that policy, pay cash for college tuition. Uh, and then the policy continues to earn interest like you never took the loan, thereby you're not sacrificing your future retirement to help the kids go through college. So all that hopefully made sense. But what I want to focus on here is you as a compassionate lender, and I like that phrase, I really like that, 
you're giving your kids the chance to pay you back. Now, why not just pay it back yourself, Angie? You know, you've got money, you're very successful. Why are you asking your poor kiddos to pay you back? Well, what we talk to all of our clients about who are where exactly where I'm at, I'm done paying for my kids' college. Hallelujah. Yeah. Got a 22-year-old and a 25-year-old. We're done paying. They successfully graduated. Our last one's almost off our payroll. So what's going to happen in my world is exactly that. I won't have their cell phone expense, their car insurance expense. I actually need to be accelerating my contributions in these what I call recoup years post-college. So acceleration and recoup is the key. I need to be compiling quite a bit more money away. And I need to, if my kids can help me do that while I'm accelerating my payment, that's a win for us because the goal at the end of the day for my husband and I is we don't want to you know, have anything left where we have to ask one of our kids so we can move in with them. Odds are they're not going to want to do it. We just don't really do that in our society is live, live with our mm-hmm. kids. <laughs> so we have to take care of ours because we can't loan our way through retirement. We, we can loan away, loan through college, loan, help you get a great loan for your kid to go through school. But when we survey people, Mark, on all these webinars we do, 90% of families every time consistently say, I do not want my student to even have $1 in debt. Mm-hmm. So it takes significant amount of intentional planning now, freshman, sophomore, junior, even senior year. It's not too late. If your student is a senior to look at it, because odds are you probably have younger kids. And you don't want to learn two or three years down the road that you did this all wrong for your oldest kid, which I've run across that. So we've got to start looking now at your holistic plan for all of your kids at the same time. Mm-hmm. You, you got to think big picture and long range. And what I love about the strategy you brought up is as kids pay you back and you're in that recoup phase, like you mentioned, Angie, it's benefiting you and your husband. And that's true. But it also, I assume, gives your kids sort of a value of their education. They're not just living on the on the backs of mom and dad's generosity here. They really value it. They get the flexibility of paying you back when they've got a full-time job and they can dial it back if they lose their job, whatever. But then it's ultimately their inheritance, right? Am I incorrect there? Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct because obviously as we continue to make contributions and deposits into these accounts, that increases our death benefit or our face amount as we go. And so- we want to live off our cash value and other funds. And then the ultimate best thing to leave your kids is tax-free money. And that's where the death benefit comes in. We will have permission now to spend our funds later and leave that tax-free death benefit to them. I guess I'm curious, as we start to wrap up here, tell me what you love most about what you do. You kind of hit that already, Mark. I love making impacts for families in a significant financial way. When we can make significant plans ahead of the game that aren't going to affect their retirement, that they know they have a solid plan put in place so they feel prepared, they know who to ask questions to and don't get lost in the maze of the information that gets you know, inundated to them, start cutting through the noise of what's relevant for their family so they make the right decisions for their family's goals, not just now, but for the next generation. And what's been really fun about it too, Mark, is when we do this with a family and this is that they use this for their kids, what do you think happens when their student is out at their first job if the family you know, really takes this valuably? Who do they send them to to come and talk to? That's right. Yeah. They right come to into us. I love meeting new people and making an impact for them in a myriad of ways. So uh, 
I absolutely love doing it. I'll do it for a very long time. <laughs> love it. Tell us how we can find out more about you and also work with you in this uh, specialized arena of college planning. As your listeners know, I live in Amarillo, Texas, but I can help students all over the country. So we're part of a larger network that allows us to have access to colleges all over. So we are College Solutions LLC. Make sure you don't forget the LLC. So we're right on Facebook. We have a very active Facebook page. Mark, we have webinars five to six times a month to educate parents on this process. So follow our Facebook page, and then you can go right to our website to schedule an introductory call with us or schedule actually a college strategy session if you have that sophomore or junior. So collegesolutionsllc.com. Our scheduler is right on the page, and you can click it and find our schedule for the next 30 days to talk to us. Thank you, Angie. So that's collegesolutionsllc.com, or you can find us on the Facebook page, right? College, just search on Facebook, College Solutions LLC. That's great. Yes. And, and I'll just say, as we wrap up here, you know, many clients of mine have talked to me about Mark. Hey, we've got these bank on yourself designed whole life policies. Uh, you've mentioned college a few times, Mark, but our kids are getting to that point. How do we know which school to go to? How do we make sure that ACT scores are up enough? How do we negotiate against colleges when they give us those, you know, we can send them appeal letters, et cetera. I don't do any of that, but thankfully I've got wonderful colleagues such as yourself, Angie, who I'm able to ask your help and you can give guidance on that as well to help people make it all the way through college without spending more than you have to and sleeping well at night in the process. Yeah. We call it holistic college planning, Mark. It's not just, Hey, I hired an SAT tutor or there's a lot of admission experts out there, but they don't speak to you on the financial piece and you're left guessing how to do it. That's why we have taken the time to know both sides of that equation and help families with the holistic process because many parents forgo that and that's a big mistake. Love it. Angie, thank you for coming on the show and uh, we look forward to seeing how you change multiple generations all at once. Pretty cool stuff. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mark. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks again, Angie, for that wonderful wide-ranging conversation. I appreciate the time. And guys, I hope you got a lot out of it. As a reminder, there are three types of scholarships Angie mentioned. There's need-based, merit-based, and then there's outside scholarships. Now, to be honest with you, the need-based and merit-based are the two big ones, but most people spend most of their time pining for those outside scholarships. And more importantly, there's strategies you can do besides just scholarships to lower that cost of college. And Angie's a pro at figuring these out, appeal letters, negotiating between the colleges. There's just so many things that most parents don't realize are even possible. And we're talking about uh, a fairly large expense. I helped a, a couple just not long ago, the amount for the college they wanted to send their kid to was going to be $85,000 every year for four years. Guys, do you realize that that is an amazingly large amount of money? That is a $340,000 conversation. So that's a huge financial decision to make. And Angie is an incredible resource. I highly recommend you guys reach out to her, get to know her. If you're in the area there, go meet her because she's just a, a real thrill to get to chat with, a, a real delight to have a conversation with, and obviously very intelligent to help solve some of these mega problems that so many families face. Guys, that's it for today's episode. You've got a lot of ground, I'm sure, to cover now with uh, learning what you've learned today. So I look forward to checking back in with you next week. 
And until then, hope you have a great rest of your week. And thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your college, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.